Hey guys, Daniel here. Welcome to the next episode of City Dance Company's Untamed Series podcast. Um, just a little note before we get started, we recorded this at the Rosalind Packer Theatre in Welsh Bay the day before the City Dance Company opened their new show, Untamed. Um, I had a great time chatting to Raphael Bonicello, the artistic director of City Dance Company, and his friend and collaborator, Clemens Habicht, about their new work, Anima, which opened the following day. Um, because we were recording at the theatre, there is a slight whirring noise in the background, which I think you can probably hear now. That's the air conditioner. Sorry about that, guys. Nothing I can do about that. I wish I knew how to remove that, but my audio editing skills are far from advanced, so um, you're just going to have to put up with it. But uh, I don't think it sounds too bad. It, hey, maybe it adds atmosphere. I don't know. You choose to listen if you want to listen um otherwise guys i really hope you enjoy our chat i had a great time talking to them and here we go well hello again and welcome to the city dance company podcast my name is daniel roberts Raphael Bonicella and Clemens Habicht are one day away from the premiere of their new collaboration, Anima. Inspired by the stunning music of composer Dobrinka Tabakova, Anima, which in Christian context refers to the soul, allows us as an audience to see our own souls reflected, explore our spiritual relationships, the feminine subconscious of men and the masculine subconscious of women, Anima and Animas. While the subject matter acts as a catalyst for movement generation between Raphael and the Dancers of Sydney Dance Company, it is also the basis of ideas that have informed Clemens's film that not only accompanies the dance work, but totally inhabits the space in and around the dancers. As you can imagine, it's been a busy few weeks leading up to the premiere, but I have managed to steal them away for a quick chat. Raphael Bonicella and Clemens Havig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Dan. for being here, guys. Um, one day away, how are we feeling? Uh, good, exhausted, um, <laughs> <laughs> but super positive. Really? No, I think yeah. that um, it comes to a point where a work needs an audience, mm. and the point is now. So yeah, tonight will be yeah, the first saying. audience, which oh, is the um, first preview tonight. Preview tonight, mm -hmm. first and only preview, uh -huh. and then tomorrow the official opening night. But it's come to we've been in the theater for the last uh, week, um, and now it needs to take the life with the audience, and that. We'll take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think it's it's interesting to see it in a room with people who haven't seen it before because you a funny effect happens where you see it yourself for the first time right. through their eyes. You can you sort of you can put yourself in their shoes. You can almost and sense see. the the feeling of the audience. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So that would be that should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Clemens, let me start with um, with you. You've yeah. worked with. Um, musicians before on, on music videos like Block Party, Tame Impala, Flume. How has this experience differed working with, with live theatre as opposed to something like this recorded a music video? Um, I think there's some very obvious differences, but mm. one that surprised me, even though in retrospect it's very obvious, was the duration of the piece. I think uh, the, the piece is in four movements and each movement is is almost 10 minutes long you know it's 30 minutes together and just allowing that space for things to happen slowly has been a great joy uh, and very different to what i'm used to working in music videos um increasingly uh, you know with the media that you see them on you need to you need to capture an audience and then continue to capture them ongoingly 
before you lose them. Whereas in this situation, what's beautiful is people have already chosen to be captured. They, they pay good money to come and sit down and subject themselves to something for, for a period of time, um, which gives you a lot of freedom to, you know, it's an indulgence in a way. And, and it's, the trust is already there. So that's really lovely. Mm. You know, they, they want to be challenged more than perhaps in a more entertaining media. Um, not that it's not entertaining, but it's a very different. Uh, it's a different manner in which you approach as an audience mm. and work. It's a slow burn, almost. It's a slow burn. You you give you give it the attention it deserves, which mm -hmm. I think uh, doesn't exist uh, in you know when you look at things on phones and right in in the outside world. And I think that's a very rare and lovely thing to for people to do still in this day and age to actually turn up and go to a theater and and say. You know, I'm terrible even if I'm watching a movie, I'm doing other things at the same time when I'm at home. It's true. And recently I've made the effort to go to the cinema because you you need to allow the movie to to just sit with you and inhabit yeah. you for a little bit. And I think the theatre and dance is even more so because um, it's not the story that, that that's necessary. It's it's You need to give yourself the time to be moved by something. Mm. Give it your attention and, and sit there and, yeah. and wait. Exactly, and yeah. concentrate on something. It's mm. lovely. Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, well, it's not the first time you guys have worked together. Let's talk about how you both met and how this sort of collaboration came about. Raf, maybe you want to talk about that. Yeah, I had come across the work of Clemens before I knew Clemens, seen one of the music videos for Flume, and I thought it was very beautiful, very poetic, and it also had a dancer in it. That was just mm. a plus, because mm -hmm. it's always really enjoyable when, as a choreographer, you see um, contemporary music makers using, you know, like... Uh, yeah, exactly. That a, a different form of dance that's not necessarily the, the usual commercial... Totally. ...pop video mm -hmm. dance movement choreography. Mm. I'm always interested in that. But I, look, and the, it was also a beautiful song. And then Chance brought us together, working together on a project with David Jones here in Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, where we, Sydney Dance Company, collaborated launching their spring-summer uh, campaign. The dancers were part of the photographs, were part of the film that Clemens made, and then we also were part of the live performance, live catwalk right. performance. So it, um, it was my opportunity to get to know Clemens, which we did very quickly, in two days, yeah. or one maybe. Yeah. And then after that I took the opportunity to um, ask him if he would be interested in collaborating with me and with Cine Dance Company in something that um, was taking shape at the time because yeah. I didn't really know right, everything about ask. it. Mm. It definitely was not called Anima. Mm -hmm. It definitely didn't have that much of the concept developed. What I did have was the very powerful and very wonderful music of Dobrinka. So at least I had something to offer him in terms of, look, I'm, not, I'm still working out what this work will be, um, but this is the music which I find really, really moving and very powerful and very sublime. Um, and that's how we met, so chance. Mm. And Clemens, had you, what, was, what had been your experience with contemporary dance before this? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I think I'm a late bloomer to many things. I hope ongoingly in my life I yeah. keep discovering things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as Raf mentioned, the, the Flume video, uh, you know, that was a ballet dancer in a different context, mm. which made it, you know, what 
during the edit, it sort of turned into a more contemporary piece. This is the video in the opera house. In the opera house, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and I've often used dancers in mm -hmm. my pieces just because they have a great sense of timing yeah. and an ability to memorize, you know, emotion, you know, because I guess as a director, often the actors are kind of like puppets that mm -hmm. you're <laughs> yeah, yeah, maneuvering yeah. around in front of the camera. That sounds very very shallow but um can be thought of in that way and um so dancers have you know that skill that knowledge that comes from practice and you know and training so i've used them a lot in film and i think um you know i've always had uh, an appreciation i remember going to a, a sydney dance performance when i was a child i was just talking about this the other day when graham murphy so I had no idea how old I was, but it was also something that, you know, blew me away at the time and also the the sense of occasion around that. So it's always been an interest and, and recently as, as well, I've become quite interested in just going to see ballet performances without my, my wife's, you know, she used to be a ballet dancer and um, okay. she, you know, she has a knowledge that I don't have about it. Whereas, you know, I used to play classical violin, so I have, a, you know, that knowledge and it's, it's interesting, you know, she's learning an appreciation for classical music now in the same way that I'm starting to just, you know, get entranced by dance. Oh, that's cool. So, um, so it's something that's arrived late, which I'm sort of thankful for, I guess. Yeah, of course. Um, new eyes. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that's mesmerizing. I think you don't need the training to just not be able to look away, which I think is really amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess that's my experience. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when you guys first started talking about it, what was the sort of initial initial discussions for what this collaboration would be, and how has that changed over time? It's changed and shifted quite a lot in the process. At the beginning, I suggested that maybe there would be a film that would exist by itself almost, almost like a prologue to the dance. Uh -huh. So in fact, not even in any, any interaction at any point. That, but that was really just a suggestion to a piece of music by Dobrinka that's actually not anymore in the piece. Oh, so wow. the work has really evolved. But at the same time, I said to Clemens, that's where I'm at right now, but I don't want this to sort of limit your thinking into how to approach this collaboration. Mm -hmm. And by saying that, saying that I was open to any other ideas or suggestions that he may come with um, or think about. And if that made sense to both of us, and if that was the right way to go, then I was happy to take that journey because by that point, it was still quite open. Mm. So this is months ago. Mm. So, I mean, after that, Clemens went, went away and he can tell yeah. you a little bit more of how it evolved into what it is now. Right, yeah, so I, I, we had a chat over the phone few months later and been thinking a lot on it and usually you know usually my role is to produce a produce a film of a certain length and that's something you know I really enjoy doing but felt like this was an opportunity to be more involved I think Raf you know the the word collaboration is used a lot but it's often used uh, incorrectly whereas I think this is a very collaborative open conversation that we had um, and what was really interesting for me was the the difference you know what I mentioned before in terms of people coming to a, a live performance so they're witnessing something taking place on a stage um, whereas I think a film is something that is a document of something that took place elsewhere um, so I, I was struggling to, to understand how that could play a role I think 
you know, it would be it would be such a gift to have an audience, you know, sit down and have to watch a movie for ten minutes that I made. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I felt like I, you know, I could uh, be more involved in that. Right. Um, and perhaps there, it was an opportunity for Raf and I to work for the whole piece together and, and create something that's perhaps a bit different mm -hmm. um, than what I would normally do. I mean, you know, I've had great success. That you know, the the videos featuring dancers are yeah. always my favourite ones because it's, it's very easy to to make a dancer look good on film because they already look good in real life. Um, and you know, I'd love to do that, but in terms of staging an event I think the idea of the event was really interesting so I I came to Raf with an idea of is there a way we could do something that only occurs on the stage that you can't you can't record or you know it's only it's only the people that came to the performance that have a memory of something that occurs in a certain place and time okay and uh, that to me was an interesting starting point yeah that kind of ex exclusivity of it Almost. Yeah, well, it's mm. it's an occasion, you mm. know, and I think there is a record of it. Like, you know, they are filmed, the performances, but actually, you know, everything is a part of that experience, you know, going to the theatre and seeing a stage where there's live people, you know, doing a routine on stage that's been rehearsed, but each performance is slightly different. And um, what what we originally started talking about, what I was... Uh, suggesting as well is, is is there a way that we could do a live film component um, you know which is something you see sometimes in musical you know music events yeah where you know if you imagine a, an arena crowd where you have a someone on stage but musicians it's kind of you know not to to be dismissive but it, you know they don't move around right, <laughs> so much right, it's right. not as interesting yeah, it's not to pushing a piano around the stage yeah, yeah and yeah. when it is it's kind of um it's more, you know, gilding the lily. Yeah. Sort of thing. That's the air conditioner kicking in. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, which is that idea of dance as a way to just sort of, I guess, commercial pop dance routines, which doesn't really interest me. I think I, I right. really like the idea of the focus and the concentration rather than um, the, you know, the fireworks of it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I had this idea of perhaps we could employ some sort of scanning 3D device. I was really uninterested in having a camera on stage because I didn't want the making of to be more interesting okay. or to distract you from the event. Yeah. So I thought perhaps we could have a 3D scanner that, you know, is independent of the stage lights. Um, often in film you have these big lights that really are very apparent. Yeah. Uh, whereas a scanner uses like an infrared. Okay. Um, and we're talking about having a projection during the show of what was going on on stage, happening mm -hmm. live. Mm -hmm. as, and, and that was a, an interesting, I think, to get to where we are now, we had to go down that path. Yeah. Um, and what we found along the way, we, did, we had a, a couple of days of experiments in the dance studio. And um, we, what I originally had thought of doing wasn't really working. And then during the experiments we came across, we stumbled into this sort of very spirit-like form, which was we had the scanner mounted to the ceiling of the rehearsal studio and then we put a virtual camera really close to the dancers um, just on the ground floor and mm -hmm. looking up at them and, and blurring the result of the scan, just the raw scan, created you know this shape that would morph but you could still recognize the dance movement in there wow and that was the starting point of where we are now that's when you thought okay this yeah. is the right track to go down yeah and simply put it was very interesting because it was we can see the gesture of the dance but we don't know who's doing it it okay. became it didn't become about the personality of the dancer or right. who did what it became more uh, 
a distillation of the motion that Raffler's doing, you know, the decisions of, of motion and, and movement uh, represented in a new way. So that was something mm. that could be really great because rather than seeing, uh, you know, a, an echo of the real dancer, you know, if we filmed it, you'd mm. be watching the screen and the screens tend to have mm. that effect. This was a, an abstraction of that dance and focusing on the motion rather than focusing on the person. From what I've seen, um, if I could put it in, in, into sort of my words, my experience of it, it's like how if you, um, if, if a light flashes in your eyes and that flash sort of stays there, sort of... Yeah, after image. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and, and um, as, as dancers you do try and make shapes last, like instead of moving on from one to the next you want, you almost want oh, something. Nice. And so that, that to me is sort of a, it's a nice sort of reflection of that idea that the the image of the dancers in there and then that once the film starts coming you get to see it again but it's not exactly as you remember yeah or it actually maybe is how you remember because you wouldn't be able to fully replicate to that replicate. in your own mind exactly it's, mm. a, it's a um a memory yeah and i think you know raf you were talking about the distinction between the dancers on stage who are wearing sort of street clothes and the projection which is more uh, you know a metaphorical space you know more of a an image of a more spirit world or presence outside of the body which i think was a nice way to look at what we were, we were coming up with mm. out of the experiments and raf you've worked with um film and dance before with projections before yeah um what what were sort of some of your thoughts going into this process and how you wanted to do that differently um well i haven't i have used film quite a lot but not lately mm -hmm. and this piece felt like film, multimedia, some element right. of visual, right. you know, not knowing exactly what it would be and that's yeah. why um, having seen Clement's work and then working with him took me in that yeah. direction. But the one thing that I knew is that, and that I've learned, is that as soon as you, it's like when you switch on a TV, mm -hmm. it just kills the party. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so as soon as there is an image, something projected, yeah. you know, light and colour, yeah, 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 eyes totally. go there. Yeah, totally. So yeah. it's with dance, um, Film can work very, very successfully. Yes. Uh, but it's almost that everything, the choreography is not just in the steps and yeah. the movement. And, um, the two have to become cohesive. Exactly. Yeah. So I knew, and I was always telling Clemens, we need to find the right balance. It will all be about balance. Yeah. So, first of all, getting the right concept, which mm -hmm. for me, it really beautifully married the imagery and the way that the imagery looked really mar uh, resonated with the idea of the soul mm -hmm. and the spirit, if that was to be anything, mm -hmm. you know, because it's not something that you can actually, you, no one really knows how the spirit or the soul looks like. No. But in a way, for me, it was a very, the essence of the movement also. And the essence of you, it's your soul. Mm. So this imagery was the essence of the movement that had happened on the, on the studio, because nothing that you will see projected on that screen, even if it's a dot, it doesn't come, everything comes from the movement. Everything is from the essence, from the soul of the movement. Yeah, right. And that for me was just the most important thing, yeah. that there was a reason. Yeah. Yeah, we found the reason along mm. the way. Yeah. And that was perfect. And then it, from that point, it was all about the balance of it, which we still literally now, like yesterday and the day before, and we've got another rehearsal in, in two hours, mm -hmm. looking at it and questioning mm. it. Yeah. And um, looking at whether, you know, is that 
better, bigger, smaller, thinner, <laughs> you know, so there is all this yeah. ongoing Yeah, um, and because it's not process. just film, it's lighting as well, it's all those things and how that, that sort of marriage yeah, it's happens. It's almost like uh, putting extra dancers on stage, Yeah, hmm. exactly. you know, you could think of it in those terms and how much does that interrupt or how much does that hmm. uh, work enhance. in sympathy or in, enhance or augment the experience and I think that's a very, it's a really delicate line that, you know, we've had the time this week which is great to, yeah. to you know, bring it up and back and, and play with those amounts. Because I think that idea of sympathy and and that everything's generated out of the dance is really important. I think people come here to experience a new dance piece and these motions, you know, they don't come from anywhere else. It all is generated out of the rehearsal and then the actual choreography is, is the raw material that the projection is built from. Mm. So yeah, even if it's really abstracted. Yeah, yeah. Um, for us, it was important that the essence was from the movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you touched on quickly there uh, before about the music, the Rika score. Um, when when did you first come across the the music? Um, at some point last year, okay, and yeah. I can't remember when. Yeah. But yeah. let's say beginning of last year. Yeah, right. And and you knew then that you wanted to do something to it. Well, like my immediate response was yes, and yeah. then once you have that immediate response, then you start quest mm -hmm. you start because although it was a beautiful piece of music, that's mm -hmm. not always enough. Yes. To make a work. Yeah. All right. Yes, it's a very nice piece of music, but what is the work going to be about? Mm -hmm. What am I going to be? You know, it's just really great actually that you find an existing piece of music that yeah. that that works for me that and that has you. Uh, you know all sorts of different journeys throughout so it's got power and it's got intensity and rhythm and melody and very so very involving beautiful romantic almost moments but then some other a lot more violent even moments so it had such a, an incredible spectrum of feelings in a way and colors and textures that that I really liked but then I sort of listened to it for a long time until I eventually commit to it Mm -hmm. So there was a process of hearing it, listening, making notes, and then going, look, okay. and then eventually researching my thoughts that I had when I he heard the music. And then the idea of anima, soul, spirit, vital force, and um, breath, in mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. Because one of the first things that I felt with this music was the sense of flight, in fact, and taking off. Mm and flying and taking off as a sense of freedom and that took me to breath you know because breath the air you know the earth that we bring and actually there's some also religious stories about the breath giving you life and blah 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 i mean yeah. i don't really get into that <laughs> they're in the bible i think um, i seem to remember they're in one of those books they're in one of those yeah. books they, or novels yeah uh, but it all then it just became really clear for me that I didn't just have a beautiful, powerful piece of music, but I also had a very strong concept that Clemens with the film and me and the dancers with the choreography could really thrive on. So the other thing I'd like to ask you about um, Clemens is, well actually from watching a lot of your music videos, um, there is that, there is a sort of psychedelic sense to some of them. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't know if that's how you would uh, interpret your work but but for me I did feel there was that sort of that things are normal but they're just not normal 
if you know what I mean. Like you take something that's real and you sort of sort of augment it in a way that um, that sort of ways we haven't seen before. Um, is that? I think that's a fair is that call. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'll take that as Good a compliment. <laughs> yeah. um, and the other thing that you sort of are famous for now is this puzzle. Yeah. So if I search your name on Instagram. A puzzle That's comes up. Comes up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but um, so, and the puzzle is sort of based around a spectrum of color. Yeah. Yeah. And so, color is something that's really influencing you at the moment. Yes. Or has for a while. And uh, that's something that you're bringing to this piece as well. Maybe you'd like to talk about that. Sure. Uh, so, I, I proposed to Raf there was a moment in time where I felt like I needed to bring an aesthetic a gesture from my part as something just outside. Uh, and I, I thought, well, colour is a great way to guide emotion. It's something that's very powerful. Uh, I find the, you know, sometimes too powerful to use. You know, I use it sparingly when I can. And, um, and I know it's used sparingly in dance as well because it, it tends to make things less serious, I think. It tends mm. to be used to make things childish or... Um, whereas, you know, in the last year, I think... Um, you know, the puzzle caused an awakening in myself and I um, was lucky enough to travel and I was constantly finding works in museums that were examining, you know, how it is that two colours next to each other cause this sort of effect. And for me, it became, you know, outside of our normal use of colour, um, you know, works by Ellsworth Kelly and Joseph Albers and um, James Turrell all have this uh, you know, very sophisticated version of what colour is able to achieve and I thought well you know, that's a very fascinating thing and perhaps that sophistication you know this is a context where that sophistication can be taken on um, rather than the sort of pop version of colour you know I think it's uh, colour exists in pop music videos and things like that um, so the puzzle just to briefly explain to everyone was a it was just an idea that sort of took off outside of expectation um, where it's a thousand piece uh, jigsaw puzzle where every piece of the puzzle is a different colour and you organise them in a natural way where you know one green sits next to another green and you you say this green's more blue than that one and you put it more to the blue side and everything just fits into place it's very sort of I think wow I don't know Germanic yeah. version of order yeah. perhaps <laughs> um, and I, have you done it? Oh, I've done it so many times. I'm down to like quick, four hours. I can oh, do okay, it on my own. Cool. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I find it weirdly relaxing. I know other people. Yeah, I bet. Can't do it. <laughs> and I, I think I, I think I would lose my mind. Yeah. There's also uh, a five thousand piece puzzle, which <gasps> is really pushing the limit of what is possible to do. Yeah. And um, so just plugging that. And, yeah. and <laughs> in the works, I mean, this was interesting because at the same time I was working on this work with. Raf, I started working on this idea of a complementary colours puzzle because I found if you put the opposite colour, you know, if you're looking at red for a long time and then you shut your eyes, the colour that you see in your mind is the opposite colour. So that's a complementary colour. So the opposite of red is cyan, you know, not exactly, but close to. And I found that idea of, you know, you're talking about after image or memory mm. is something that happens in colour and, and this idea of colours next to each other um, Joseph Albers talks about it as um, like chords of music uh, and if you play a melody in music you can transpose that melody in, a, in register in the same way you can play a routine of, of dance um, and the same occurs in colour so if you have a green and a blue next to each other 
that relationship can be shifted to a different part of the spectrum because there's a distance between the colours and, and it's not so much a scientific thing because it, it has to do with the way our eyes work. You know, it has to do with the cones and, and you know, obviously animals see more colour than we do or some see less. And some people see more colour than other people. And not talking about colour blindness, but some people just have more uh, receptive cones. Mm. So all of these things started to become very fascinating for me. Um, and, and in terms of staging a live event, you know, I think some of the things that are going on on the stage, I was trying to take photos of it and it doesn't, it doesn't appear in a photograph as it appears on stage. At one point I see a, a visible halo around and I was checking with other people and they can't see it. And, you know, I'm not saying I can see auras cause I definitely can't <laughs> and that's not what it's about, but it's this idea of two colors have a vibrancy when they're next to each other. Yeah. Wow. And and um, that vibration has been talked about in spiritual terms by color theorists, mm. where they, uh, you know, colors of a similar saturation or similar hue, oh, sorry, with a different hue, even like a very pale yellow next to a very pale, you know, gray is something that vibrates on the page. Wow. And, um, and so we've been focusing on that this week in the staging is, is you know we have this luxury of time and bringing colors into a world and you know Raf started right from the beginning with a you know this idea of purity in a white stage in which nothing exists and white is amazing because it bounces colors so even mm. in one of the movements there's nothing on stage except a color thrown onto the dancers and and they radiate that color and the stage goes the same color in a very pale version wow only from the reflection of the color off of their bodies right so there is this you know it's a very rare situation of absolute control um and you know i think there's moments in the dance where you know if if, if we had just that one color up for half an hour then it would be called a james terrell work mm -hmm. because you know he he very famously has very successfully brought that idea of sophistication to a world but uh but what we have is this always changing motion where the colors involved in the same way as the movements in an emotional, you know, guided by the, the music um, in a way that's parallel to the dance. I think we're talking about film as possibly in competition for attention, whereas it's never, you know, what I always like with music videos is you're watching an image while you're listening to music and those two things just belong together beautifully. That's why music videos work. Totally. Um, and in the same way with dance, if you, you know, Raf's response to the music, those two things marry so well together. And it's like, well, how, how can film interact in that world? And I think color is a parallel world mm. that doesn't take anything away from the dance or the music, but no. exists in the same way next to it, which mm. I think is a, an interesting experience to mm. have. Um, but it is very present throughout the piece. I think it's a big part of of the final staging. And Raf, um, you as a choreographer, I guess you're always trying to experience different different things and, and wanting to see your work in different ways. Um, you know, last year with Frame of Mind, you had a set. Um, this year, Clemens, there's a lot of color. Is this something that you try to, do? when you collaborate, are you, how open are you to, to really seeing your work in different ways through the eyes of different people? Well, I absolutely, go there yeah let's say yeah exactly what you're saying mm. 
I want each work to take a life of its own and that life of its own will be influenced not just by the choreography and you know the dancers that I'm working with all the time which is more than with in that relationship it's more of a build of a relationship because you know with some dancers you work through a few years and you get to really know that language that body that way of it and you keep looking for new things new people bring new things but in terms of the works themselves new collaborations especially will take you into a different direction and I think it would be really easy for me to just go back to what I know all the time and to go to my safe place of you know, let's say mm. quite dark stage that makes it look really moody and mm. blah blah blah. Yeah, which is I, beautiful. You know, yeah. which is beautiful. And yeah. I knew, but the thing with this work is I knew it was a white work anyway. Mm. Um, it's not the first time that I use color, mm. but it's used very differently. Mm. So to one another had color in a screen, and that yes. was an LED screen mm. for half of it, and there was even red costumes. Yeah. That was the, my possibly, um, even Land of Yes, Land of Now mm -hmm. was, also had elements of color. Yeah. In this way, it's very different because it's approached in a way where we want the audience to not just see the color, but to actually have a response to it. Yeah, ideally they don't see the color. So, I mean, they'll be aware of it, but ideally it sneaks up on them. Like, yeah. How is it going to work? Yeah. We still like. Yeah. We will know today because I think also we're now really in it. Yeah. And have been for the last week really dealing with the color and mm. with this. The world that the dancers inhabit and everything else, but it'd be really I'm really curious actually to see what 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 is it like when you don't know anything. I mean that's always the case, yeah. but also especially because it's so different to anything that I've myself dealt with. Mm. Like I'm I can be familiar with responses in different aspects of my work depending yeah. on my work, yeah. but I really know that this is very different. Yeah. So what that response will be. Mm -hmm. In whatever way, I do not know. Yeah, we wait to see. We wait to see. Well, um, as I have mentioned to you guys before we started recording, uh, in this podcast series, we have a thing called the top five questions because there's two of you, of two guests, I'm going to make a top six. Hmm. So, uh, where, are, where are my little questions here? They are. And that's for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ralph, this is for you. It's very official paperwork I've got here. Um, so, Ralph, you've got, to, you've got to ask these questions where your name is to Clem and vice versa. Uh, so I'm asking you, yeah. what was the first album you owned? What was the first album you owned? I think the first album I owned was probably a cassette tape, um, mm -hmm. which was like summer hits of 86 or something <laughs> exciting like that, of which I have you know, no pride or memory of. I, I'm sure if I heard the songs, they'd be full of nostalgia, but <laughs> if I imagine what the equivalent is now. Um, but the first album I remember listening to a lot of was my mum's. She had a, an LP of Sgt. Pepper, Lonely Hearts Club Band from, oh, from cool. you know, from when that came out. Yeah. And I used to love that. And I still, you know, listening to that is just exciting. Still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, still hits the spot. Yeah. And, you know, what Raph was talking about, what, you know, who knows what the, what the response will be to it. This mm. colour. Um, I think when they made that <laughs> album... When they made that album, they were trying out all sorts of stuff as well. Like, it was a complete, um, uh, you know, that album was revolutionary. Right. Not that I'm saying that's all they're doing. But, it, um, <laughs> you know, they they used the opportunity 
to make something that they wanted, that they were fascinated in personally. Yeah. And I think that's a good way yeah, cool. to bring it back to what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right question then. two. Uh, is social media evil? Evil. Social media can be evil, mm. you know, because there can be a lot of um, aggression in it and in a way, um, and it's an easy way actually to be evil if you want, but it can also be really, really powerful in very positive ways. Mm -hmm. So I think it has both, it has both to it. So I yeah. don't think it's just evil, so it shouldn't exist yeah. in any way because social media can really help people in that, that needs to be heard and people that has important messages to say because it's such an immediate way, yeah. democratic way to put your ideas and thoughts out there. Mm. At the same time, um, yeah, it can be evil yeah. if yeah. people we can live with the conscious, in fact, of there's writing a, some of the stuff that people write. Yeah, there's, there's a feeling of anonymity to what people say sometimes. I think my experience of those things is more like, look, just reading YouTube comments. Oh, no. that you wouldn't say that to someone's face. No. <laughs> um, you hope not. Yeah. So I think there's a, you know, there's a... I take it very seriously. I, I take yeah. very seriously any comment or anything that I would say in that platform. Yeah. Because... Oh, it's know, there forever. It's there forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's the age we live in, guys. <laughs> My question, yeah. uh, what was the last TV series you watched all the way through? Ah, okay, um, alright, so the last one I watched is available on YouTube, I highly recommend it. It's an English show uh, that's finished a while ago, so it's not, it's not Netflix or anything mm. like that. Um, it was called The Peep Show, I think it ran for like six or seven seasons. Okay. Uh, it's a comedy, yeah. um, one of those very sharp English comedies about two flatmates. Right. Um, who and the whole series is shot through point of view, and what you get is each of them talking out loud, so you see through their eyes, but you also hear what they're saying inside their heads. Oh wow! And um, and you know they they go there as well. They like they say some pretty crazy things. I think it was you know in a later time slot, perhaps. I hope so. Yeah. But it's very entertaining, <laughs> <laughs> and I just binged watched that one. Yeah, That's cool. my most recent. Um, <laughs> Yeah, seven seasons. Yeah, <laughs> I got addicted. Yeah, yeah. I've just been injured, so I've I've finished a lot of this series in the last few months. Let me. This was you. a while ago. I've got to say, but <laughs> yeah. All right. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would that oh be? Oh my god, that's um, not an easy one. <laughs> I know you get all the serious ones. Yeah. I get yeah, TV well, shows. You get, favorite exactly. records. Yeah. Well, um, there's many things I would change about myself, but one, if I if I could only change. One, <laughs> um, I, I can be quite impatient. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. I could, yeah. I, if I, if there's something I would change, would be to actually be more patient. So okay. Take more time and don't feel always like I'm so, like on the go and running and mm -hmm. yeah. That, I think that would be a nice thing. Yeah. I've never just noticed. you know yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever flown first class? Wow, I really do get the deep questions. Um, I, I, I think once I was upgraded on an internal flight in America, which I don't think is actually first class. I think that's just one row forward in a small plane. Okay. But um, no, I always fly economy and I fly a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I'm lucky that I can sleep anywhere. I'm often asleep before the plane's even in the air. So yeah. it seems like. Yeah, yeah I've, I've got better at that well as well actually like yeah. just being able as soon as it starts moving I'm, yeah. I'm out I often find myself next to a screaming baby it doesn't do anything doesn't do anything 
Hello. Oh, God, that's embarrassing. Um, no, that's all right. And very busy. So I'd rather, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to have a little get on my soapbox now, but I think it's ridiculous <laughs> the scale of suites that people are flying around the world in. You know, I've heard stories of, like, gym equipment and stuff no. when you're restricted in luggage and, and the amount of fuel it takes to to move one thing to yeah. from one side of the world to the other uh i think you know it's it's a luxury and uh, you know i'm I've, i'm not doing it out of political or personal <laughs> reasons i'm just not spending the money yeah but at the that same time it. i think that that culture of you know that you need to take a shower when you're in the air is a bit insane yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know Nicole Kidman has a lot to answer for. Um, uh, I think you've got the last question for Raph. Yep. All right. Name your two favourite cities to visit around the world. Well, the last city that I was in, <laughs> message. That's I'm going to say Lisbon. Yes. I was there oh, cool. this summer and I had it. Yeah, was like, it great? Yeah, yeah, amazing. I've been there many times, but I had not been there for 10 years. So going back this year after 10 years was like a real amazing discovery. Mm -hmm. And then, although it's where I live, I am going to say Sydney because I was not born here and I have only lived here for eight years. Mm. And I really, truly find it one of the most incredible cities mm. in the world. Mm. Um, so I feel I'm allowed to say yeah. the city that I live in because every yeah. time that I'm landing on a plane, yeah. um, I have this real good, positive, feeling about the place that I'm so lucky to be live, living in and um, it's a great place to visit. Yeah, I think I'm the, I'm the same, so I'm not from here originally but when I come back to Sydney now, it's, especially after two years, it's like feels like home mm. and it's a great city and so vibrant and so much going on. And, yeah, I've heard the motion. I mean, yeah. I, I am from here. Yeah, you are. Yeah. But I've been away for about 15 years yeah. and coming back this morning I saw whales again oh. just you know before going to work I saw some whales yeah. I mean you know it's just say so that, bizarre it's, isn't it it's quite insane yeah <laughs> and I think uh, you know being away from that and coming back to it there's like an appreciation of wow this place is you know it's a paradise mm. in its own way so yeah. um yeah it's nice it's beautiful well Raf and Clem thank you so much for taking thank the time Dan. to chat thank and, you um yeah uh we're looking forward to the premiere and good luck for the next 24 hours, hope it all goes smoothly and um, thank you very much. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for another episode of the Sydney Dance Company podcast for the Untamed season. We still have one week of shows left. The show closes at the Rolson Packer Theatre on the 29th of October, so make sure if you haven't seen it yet, you get yourself straight to sydneydancecompany.com and get those tickets. A big thank you again to Raphael and Clements for their time and insight. I've really loved bringing these podcasts to you, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. If you haven't already, please find us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and rate and review us. We would love your feedback. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CityDanceCo. Uh, I think that's all for now, guys. I'm Daniel Roberts, and as always, thanks for listening. City Dance Company is Australia's leading contemporary dance company. For more information regarding dance classes, performances, and dance education, head to www.citydancecompany.com.